We have been talking about the fact that a believer is forgiven. Okay? Forgiven. What, what Jesus did in, for us in salvation. And there's many things, but just we've been touching specifically on the forgiveness of sins. The Bible says uh, when the angel Gabriel came and spoke to Joseph, and his wife was pregnant, and Joseph was confused and wasn't sure what was going on. He didn't want to put her away and make, uh, you know, make an example of her. Uh, he didn't want to divorce her. And the angel said, uh, don't fear to take Mary to be your wife, right? That which uh, she's conceived is of the Holy Spirit. And he says, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Saving people from their sins. It sounds like a simple truth. It almost sounds like you don't hear that much anymore in Christianity. There are people always looking for, searching for some new uh, thing that they would think might be more exciting or something like that. But there's nothing more exciting than knowing that a Savior came to save us from our sins. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And in other words, that was His purpose. He came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Speaking of Himself. Well, we could all put ourselves in place of Paul there and say, no, Paul, I beg to differ with you. I'm, I'm the chief. Okay? I'm the chief of all sinners. <clears throat> Somebody once said that we can not, not rightly call anything our own except our sin. You know, and it's the truth. And the Lord came to save us from our sins. I want you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles. We're going to continue on this thought a little bit more this morning. First Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Whom having not seen, you love. Speaking about the Lord. In whom though now you see Him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And everything, everything in the, the life of a believer, everything about faith, is based upon believing in whom we've not seen. This is a biblical truth right here. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And what does Peter say here to the church? He's speaking to believers. He starts right off by saying, whom having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And... This is something that the Lord gives us. The Lord gives His people this joy. The joy that, that we speak of, the joy of the Lord, is something that comes from knowing Christ. It's something that specifically comes not from knowing about Christ or even attending church. It comes from the presence of Almighty God in our lives. The Lord gives joy to His people. He's a joyful God. And part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is joy. His presence in the hearts and lives of those that He has redeemed by His blood brings joy unspeakable. That means unutterable. I would guess it would mean like you can't express it. You can't think of the words to express that joy. And it's the presence of the Lord in our hearts as a believer. And I want to talk today specifically about the joy that the Lord the, the joy that results in our hearts in knowing that we're forgiving, forgiven. Knowing that God has forgiven us. The joy. So we've talked the last two weeks about, about being forgiven. And the Bible says that, that the Lord is, is bringing many sons to glory. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? The Lord's bringing many people 
sons to glory in Hebrews chapter 2. And he does this through forgiving our sins, through washing us and making us clean and making us his very own. There's a great joy in having all of our sins forgiven. This is for every believer. This is for somebody that just got saved yesterday. This is for somebody that's been saved for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years or more. Okay? There's an abiding joy just in knowing Jesus. But there's a joy in, in that, in knowing that all of our sins have been forgiven. They have been permanently removed from us. They have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. And so again, we've talked the last two weeks about the fact that we're forgiven and that of all of our sins that are past. And the Bible tells us that God has even made a provision for a sin we would commit today. And it's very important. I think it's very important that we, we grasp this truth that a believer does not have to sin. We do. But we don't have to. Before we were saved, the Bible says we were sinners by nature. And we might could curb certain habits, sinful habits, habits, but we couldn't stop sinning, okay, in our minds and thoughts and, and things like that. But a believer has, has not only been forgiven, but the power of sin has been broken from our lives. It's very important that we, we connect that with when we talk about salvation. Because a lot of times when the gospel is is presented a lot of times maybe in modern evangelism there's such a rush to get people to say the prayers you know just say the prayer and you're forgiven and and everything's great but we need to understand our salvation that it is great and one of the things that the lord has done he doesn't take only take all of our sin up until that point we come to jesus and forgive us and wash it away but He breaks the power of sin from our lives to where I'm no longer a slave to sin. I know I'm kind of redundant with this, but it's important. We're not. Bob, Jesus said in John chapter 8, to those that believed in Him, He says, many, as He spake these words, many of the Jews that He was speaking to believed on Him. Then He said to them, if you continue in My words, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they said, we've never been a slave to any man. We're, we're Abraham's seed. And Jesus said, he that committeth sin is a servant or a slave of sin. Committeth meaning ongoing. Whoever commits sin like a walk or a pattern, okay, uh, is a servant or a slave to sin. And the Son sets us free. You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. If the Son therefore hath made you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, what about as believers? Okay, I'm a Christian now. I don't have to sin, but Lord, I did. I sinned today. What do we do about it then? Do we just ignore it and say, well, all that was taken care of in salvation. All that's just already dealt with. I don't have to do anything with that. But we do. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so... As a believer, I still have a, a provision from God for my sin. As a believer, the question now is not sinning uh, and, and sinning away my day of grace or losing my salvation or anything like that. But the question is now, as a believer, if I sin, I need to come to the Lord to be forgiven of that sin because my fellowship with Christ is hindered by that sin. 
And my testimony for the Lord is greatly marred by that sin. And I want to break it off as soon as possible. How soon is it possible to break off sin? Instantly. I didn't have to sin in the first place, but I just did. And as quick as I sinned, I can turn to the Lord and say, God, I was so wrong. I sinned. I didn't have to. Would You forgive me? And by the time we're speaking it, He's putting away our sin and washing us in the blood of Jesus. Our little children, believers, these things write I unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate. And so God has made that atonement. But I want to tell you today that that there is, what is the result of all this? Knowing that our sin is forgiven and that we're in a right standing with God, a lot like what Eric talked about when he opened the communion. What is the result of that? Well, I could go into a lot of legal things about justification and so forth. But we read the Scripture that in uh, though not, whom, having not seen you love, in whom though you see Him not now, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The result, y'all, and I want to talk about this today, of knowing that our sin is forgiven, that it's put away, okay? The joy of knowing that uh, is a great joy. The, the result of that is great joy. In fact, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. That our sin has been forgiven. What does that word forgiven mean? I forgive you. But sometimes we might hold a grudge. Somebody says, would you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. We just kind of want to move on. And so I forgive you. But we might, it's not a godly thing, but we might, and it's a human being, hold a grudge against that person, person, so to speak. And say, well, I forgave them today, but I'm sure not. They, you know, that's the last straw. I forgave them, but I'm done with them. Okay? Or hold some kind of grudge. God does not do that. The word forgiven means uh, to put away or to remit. It's been remitted. It's been put away. And the Bible tells us as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And so they're gone. And there's a great joy in knowing that, that they're put away by Jesus. Uh, not put aside only, because they're kind of close by over here, and not... Uh, swept under the rug. You know what I mean by that? Just kind of sweep it under the rug. We're going to deal with this in some quick, half-hearted half manner. Our sin is just sort of, all right, let's deal with it real quick. Uh, it's not covered up. It's not ignored. It's not minimized. Our sin is forgiven. It is washed away. It is. We might remember it, but the Lord chooses, because He's sovereign, He knows everything, he chooses to forget it. He chooses not to bring it back up. He chooses to deal with us as a son in whom his soul delights. Well, we might have done horrible things in our lives. He chooses now to deal with me, like you said again, Eric, as a member of his family, in good standing with the Lord. And it's, again, it's almost too good to be true. Our sin is forgiven. And not just swept under the rug and can pop out its ugly head at some point in the future, but really put away. And so the Bible says that it's not imputed to us. That means it's not imparted or put to our account. It's no longer has anything to do with me, so to speak, my sin. 
I'm fully guilty of it. I'm the one that did it or did these things and I sinned against the Lord. But it's put away. Okay? It's put away. It's not in us. It's not on us. It's not against us. It's forgiven. It's washed away. And we would say, well, what, on what grounds? How, how is that done? It's, it's because of the righteousness of Christ. It's put away. And, and the Bible says in Romans 4, verse 7, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. You know what blessed means? It means blessed. It means happy. In fact, one of the definitions is how happy. So this could read, Blessed or how happy are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. It ought to bring us great joy. Okay? Great joy in knowing this. How is that done? It's by grace through faith. It is God's grace. There are people that are honestly living. You may know some. Living in our day right now, and maybe we were that way at some point, who honestly thought or think that if I can do enough good to, I know I've done some bad things, but if I can do enough good to outweigh that bad, that will get me to heaven. That will put me in a right standing with God. There's nowhere taught in the Bible. Good works are taught in the Bible, okay? But they're not taught for salvation. They're not talked about as outweighing our bad deeds. That holds no water with the Lord. It holds no standing with the Lord. The Bible says, therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. It's of faith that it might be by grace. My part is to trust in exactly what God says to come to Him for forgiveness and to don't say, God, now, if if you'll give me a chance, I'll make it up to you. I know I've lived a rotten life. Or, or, Or whatever. There's no bargaining. There's no deals. Jesus died and rose again. He came to the world to save sinners. He died and He rose again. And if he's basically just saying, do you believe this? Do you believe this for you? For yourself? Do you know that you're a sinner? Oh, I know I'm a sinner. Do you know that there's not salvation in any other? And it's not what Jesus did plus some of your good works or your church attendance. We just come to the Lord. It is by grace, by faith, that it may be of grace. By grace. And so we come to the Lord and we're forgiven. And nobody in the whole world, think about this, nobody in the whole world knows that their sin is forgiven except a Christian. Nobody in the whole world knows that their sin is forgiven except a Christian, a true born-again man or woman. Uh, And this is not to ridicule or make fun, it's to make a point about this, about the great salvation we have that... Uh, I think it was even Mother Teresa that when asked about are you going to go to heaven when you die, she said she hoped so because of all the, the mercy of God and all the good that she had done and so forth. There was no assurance, no assurance in her life. But a Christian knows that their sin is forgiven. The Bible says, uh, bless, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, and healeth all thy diseases. The Lord does that. He forgives all 
our iniquities. That means our evil, our fault, our sin, our perversity. He is forgiven. Blessed is the Lord who forgiveth all thine iniquities. A believer knows that they're forgiven. Those thoughts may creep back into our mind. There are condemning thoughts that can try to come upon us. But we cast those down. They have no validity. They have no reality in Christ. They have no truth at all. And the Bible says that that uh, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Okay? And so we hold on to that truth. We know uh, uh, nobody else knows for sure that their sin's forgiven except when it is forgiven in Christ. Others may, in the whole world, may, may wish that their sins forget, were forgiven. There might be people in prisons all over the world languishing there, wishing they hadn't have done that, wishing their sins were forgiven. There might be people that dreamed of what it would be like to have all their sins forgiven. Uh, there might be those that just ignore the question of sin altogether. I know there's plenty of people like that. But a born-again man knows that his sin is forgiven. We're to know that. God wants us to know that. It's part of our joy. Okay? It's a big part of our joy in knowing that our sin is forgiven. Just for time's sake, I want to read two Scriptures here from Acts 13. By Him, all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the, by the law of Moses. I'll read it again. Acts 13.39 And by Him, by Christ, all that believe, not all that believe and do a bunch of good works, not all that strive real hard and their good outweighs their bad, by Him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And then Peter said, uh, when he's preaching up, uh, Cornelius' house on the day, uh, the day that he went and visited there. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. It's remission, it's forgiveness, it's the putting away, it's uh, all of our sin being washed away and removed. And a believer knows that. Okay? A believer knows that. I want you to turn. This will probably be our main text for the day to Luke chapter 7. It's going to be a fairly long passage. We're going to read the whole account. It's not a parable. It's not a made-up story. It's not an illustration. These are real people. A real event that took place. And let's look Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Luke 7, 36. And one of the Pharisees desired Him, Jesus, that He would eat with Him. And He went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touched him. For she's a sinner. And Jesus answering, he just thought within himself. He didn't even say it out loud, but Jesus answers his thought out loud. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have something to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. One owed him 500 pence 
the other 50. And when he had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave, they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said, Simon, seest thou this woman? This is all playing out in real life right there. These are real people. You got a Pharisee who's not seeing the whole picture, who thinks he's probably a pretty, pretty well okay, you know, spiritually. And here's this woman who's a sinner and Jesus, the Lord, sitting with both of them. Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she had washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time that I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at me with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? Well, it's the Lord. Okay? That's who it is. And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. What saved her? Her faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Now there's so much we can talk about from this story, and I pray I can get through it. Okay? But she was a sinner. Well, you know what? Everybody's a sinner. So why does the Bible highlight the fact in verse uh, 37, and behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner? It means because she was a notable sinner. In other words, Simon was a sinner too. Everybody sitting there was a sinner too. The woman was a sinner and because she was a notable sinner. She was a famous sinner in that town. She was known for her sin and everybody knew the type of person she was. Some people have said um, this is that Mary Magdalene, but it doesn't really, there's nothing in the Scripture to say who it is. Because this was in the town of Nain. It wasn't in Magdala where Mary Magdalene was from. We don't really know uh, if it's the woman that was at Jesus' feet. Remember that uh, they caught the woman in adultery and they wanted to stone her, but they didn't stone her. Uh, it could have been them. We don't know. It doesn't really matter. The Bible doesn't say. This is the town of Nain. It was not the same place as those others. We do know that she was a notable sinner. Okay? A notable sinner. And she's with the Lord, worshiping the Lord at this time. I want to read this real quickly. Both, both have been forgiven. Okay? And in the, in the illustration that the Lord gave about the, the, the man, uh, two people owed him money. The creditor had two debtors, right? He forgave them both. And so one had a bigger debt, one had a small debt. He forgave them both because they didn't have anything to pay with. Nor do we have anything to pay the Lord for our sins. We couldn't pay for the first, least, what we consider to be the least little sin, robbing the cookie jar. We couldn't pay the Lord for anything. Alright? And both in the, that illustration that the Lord gave were forgiven. But the one who had the greater amount to be forgiven was more appreciative, would be more, would appreciate that forgiveness the most. The more we sense 
It's not necessarily the, the most, the more that we sin, we appreciate the Lord more. The more we sense the weight of our sin, the more we appreciate it. In other words, I don't think if Hitler had gotten saved, I don't think he, should, he would be any more thankful than I should be. It's not how much we've sinned, it's the weight and the, our sense, our knowing of the weight of our sin. It, it, in our lost condition, in our hopelessness without a Savior that we were in before we were saved, that's what ought to cause the, us to thank the Lord for what He's done for us. All are sinners, all have sinned, and all are great sinners, okay? The Bible says, but we all, in Isaiah 64, 6, we all are as an unclean thing. Isaiah, who was definitely a prophet, something he might have been a priest, Isaiah said, but we are all as an unclean thing and our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. All of us. And we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. You know what he's realizing? The bigness of his own sin. This is not, yeah, I've done some bad things. God forgive me. Look at what he's saying there. We're like filthy rags in our best condition. Our iniquities have taken us away. They've gone over our heads like a flood. We're engulfed in them. We're overwhelmed by our sin and our sinful nature. But the Lord takes away our sins and He reconciles us unto Himself. So we're talking today about the joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Specifically the joy of knowing that our sins are forgiven. Not hoping and not wishing, but really knowing. I want to read this from 1 John 3.19. We're going to go back to this story and talk about this woman a little bit more. But I want you to look at 1 John 3.19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. There's an assurance that comes from the Lord. There's an assurance that comes from God and, and that He gives us that with complete confidence. Y'all, everybody here, here this morning that's born again, we ought to be able to say, in our hearts, it's not arrogance, it's all glory to God, but we ought to say, I know that I'm forgiven. My heart has assurance before the Lord. I'm not perfect. I'm a long way from being perfect, even though I'm saved. But there's an assurance I have because of the blood of Jesus, but because of what He says, what He promised in His Word. He says He's justified me fully by His grace. He says whoever comes to Him, He'll in no wise cast out. He says that our sin, my sin is remitted and washed away. And we ought to, with full confidence and assurance, know that. And we ought to be able to tell a sinner that. If you're witnessing to somebody, you and I need to be able to tell them all of your sins have been forgiven. What's going to come back from that person? You just don't know how bad a sinner I am. You just don't know the horrible things I've done. You don't know the people that I've hurt in my life. You don't know how badly I've hurt people and how long, how often in the years that I've spent sinning against God that you're telling me about right now. Are you telling me that God can really forgive all of my sins? All of it. Even the things I've forgotten about. And we can for full confidence and assurance say yes. He can forgive it all. He did it for me. Not He'll forgive it if you do this, that, and the other. 
if you give your life to Christ, that is salvation, and He forgives us, and we ought to give a resounding yes in knowing. And y'all, that is to be a, a rest for us, and we ought to rest in that, and we ought to joy in it. That ought to be joy in knowing that our sin is forgiven. Amen? To rest in that. So we see this, this woman, and both are sinners. Simon's just as much a sinner, I can say more or less, just as much a sinner as the woman. But evidently before this, the woman had been forgiven of her sins. And Jesus turns to her and says, you're forgiven. And it made a difference. It ought to make a difference in our lives knowing that our sin is forgiven. And there was... Uh, D.L. Moody was asked by the governor of Pennsylvania to be the one to bring the message that he, the governor, had pardoned a certain inmate in the prison. So Moody's been given the responsibility. You go to this prison in Pennsylvania. Governor says, I want you to go and you tell so-and-so that I have pardoned them. And so Moody goes and he's going, I think he preached in this prison and he was getting ready to preach to the men. They were all gathered together. They didn't know what he was there for other than to preach the gospel. And so he tells the group of men, let's pretend like this is our group of inmates right here. And he says, men, I'm going to preach, but before I do, there is one man in here that the governor has pardoned. And at the end of the service, I'm going to tell you who you are. Okay? And he starts to, his sermon, and he, he could tell this will never do. <laughs> These men cannot wait to the end of the sermon. He says, I'm, it's too painful. It's excruciating. I've got to tell him right now who's pardoned, and then I'll preach. And so he says, the man whom the governor has pardoned is. And he gives the name. And that man started jumping up and down and hollering and just joy, uh, joy unspeakable. What joy that he thought out of that whole company of criminals, he was the one that the governor chose to pardon. It brought joy. But think about our lives, y'all. Everybody that comes to Christ is pardoned. And sometimes it's just kind of like, well, that, thank you, Lord. We're pardoned for all eternity. This man was pardoned from a life sentence or 10 years or whatever it was he was facing. He's jumping up and down because the governor chose to pardon him. It wasn't that he wasn't guilty. He was guilty. But the governor chose to pardon him. We're guilty. And our judge and our God and our Savior chooses to forgive us. Now here's the point I want to make in, in bringing this to a, to a real point to a head. And it's something important. And, and maybe it's something that God's just saying to my heart. Uh, maybe it's something He's saying to our church that we don't or I don't weep enough over my own sin. And I don't weep enough over the enormity of my sins against a holy God, a good God, a just God, a loving God. We don't weep enough or sorrow enough over our offense to the Lord, over our guilt before the Lord, over the grief that we caused the Lord and the wounds that were put upon Him. Because it says, if you take time to read Isaiah 53, it's very detailed about the Lord's crucifixion, right? 
Uh, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was put upon him. He bore stripes, okay, by which we're healed. A lot of times, I don't think I weep enough over what my sin cost and what it cost God's only Son. The great, great price that was paid for sinful men, and I'll put myself right there, to be redeemed. What price had to be paid to redeem mankind? You know, this was, this was the, the work of the ages. This was the love of the ages. This was the God of the ages expressing His love to sinful men in one act. In sending His Son Jesus, sinless, spotless Lamb, to die as a Lamb on the cross, the just for the unjust, for the sins of the world. It all culminated in that moment. The grief that was put upon Him, the sin that was put upon Him, the Bible says, for as much as we know that we were not redeemed with corruptible things, the silver and gold and so forth, but with the precious, that means valuable or costly, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot or blemish. And I don't think a lot of times we realize the weight of, of our sin and the cost that had to be paid, the price that had to be paid. And I'll say this in light of what we're talking about this morning. Because we don't, because we don't weep enough for our sin or fully realize the enormity of our sin and our offense against this perfect, holy, and just, kind, loving God, because we don't think enough about it or, or feel the weight of it, I think we fail to appreciate our salvation like we should. I, fa- I think we fail to rejoice in this great salvation of God. And we fail to love the Lord as much as we should. Jesus just told the woman and Simon, who do you, who do you think is going to love the Master the most? Well, I suppose the one He forgave the most. Thou hast well said. And he, he says the same that loveth little, you know, but uh, little is forgiven, they love little. But the woman, it's not to me that, again, that she sinned more than Simon or anyone else, which she might well have. But the point is that she realized it. She realized amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. We just sing the song Amazing Grace because it's pretty tune and we think about the grace of God. But that grace doesn't mean nearly as much if we don't see that we're a wretch in the first place. If we're the lowest of the low, then you can have grace upon me. This criminal might have been the worst of all the criminals. And he said, the governor of all the people in this state chose to pardon me. You understand the point? The joy it brought to him? I think we don't love the Lord enough and we fail to rejoice in that we've been forgiven because we failed in the first place to see the enormity of our offense against the Lord. Do you know the Bible tells us that heaven rejoices when one sinner repents? I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Heaven's rejoicing when one gets saved. We don't even rejoice as much as we should when we get saved or as a saved man going through life, continually rejoicing in our salvation. 
We, we fail because we fail to re- realize the depth of our sin that He brought us out of and our lost condition and our hopelessness to help ourselves. Therefore, we fail to weep tears of joy. Now, I'm talking about that kind of tears of... You can express it. There's a joy mixed with the sorrow of our sin and a joy for our salvation all at the same time, all rolled up in our love for God and our thankfulness for His mercy and His grace to save a no-good sinner like me. We ought to, there ought to be tears of joy over our rescue from sin, its power, its penalty. We're free from all that. We're guilty as can be, and yet He pronounces us as being innocent. And that ought to bring great joy in our salvation and our forgiveness and in the one who forgived us, forgave us. And y'all, in our church, there ought to be joy. I'm going to speak to myself and I'm going to speak to y'all as well. There ought to be joy when we come together and sing. And our singing ought, ought to be joyful. And ought, ought not just be, here I am to worship. It ought, there ought to be a joy just for this fact, if no other. And there's a lot of other facts, okay? But that our sin has been forgiven. That inmate jumped up and down and went crazy. This woman weeping at the feet of Jesus. And, and there ought to be joy in our praise. There ought to be joy in our giving. We put money in the offering plate. We, when we serve God or give of our time, we go to the nursing home uh, in our fellowship with one another. And how we come and sit before God when we, okay, it's time for this sermon now. There ought to be joy in or picking up your Bible tomorrow morning when you read it. There ought to be a great joy in all that we do because of, of, this, of our forgiveness. We've been forgiven. We've been pardoned. We have been cleansed and forgiven. And y'all, there's a knowing, and I think it only can come from the Lord. It can come from meditating on the Lord. But I'm talking about we fail to see the weight of our sin or the grossness of our sin. Even after I'm a Christian and I sin, it's not just a little thing. I can quickly be forgiven. I'm not saying we're to languish in our sin and wallow around in self-pity. I'm saying I think it would be beneficial to the body of Christ if we would have a sense of our guilt before the Lord and the bigness of it. Then we would appreciate the bigness of His forgiveness. I'm not telling us to go be depressed all day about our sin. I'm telling that we ought to be touched with it. He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities, we ought to be touched by the feelings of our own sin so that we can be very thankful and rejoice in God when He forgives us. The Bible says our lost condition was this, and ye hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been quickened, quickened or made alive. And so that would cause us, knowing that, to appreciate this salvation. So this woman... Um, was a sinner. Simon was a sinner, but the woman was a. Uh, and both were sinners, but there was one of the two, at least at that point. Maybe Simon got saved after this. Pray he did. I pray he he did what the Lord said and got it. You know what I mean? But both were sinners. But one of the sinners, at least in that moment, in that picture, one of the sinners knew the depth of their sin. That woman knew the life she had lived. And she's standing there touching the Lamb of God. She knew the depth of her sin. She, she knew what she had been, given, been forgiven of. And because of that, one of them truly and appreciated is not even a big enough word. 
one of them truly appreciated the forgiveness of God. You see what I'm saying? I think she was weeping, but she's weeping tears of joy. She's weeping over uh, her salvation, the goodness of God, the mercy of God. And to her, this Jesus said to her, He didn't say it to Simon, thy sins are forgiven. He turned to her and told her that. Your sins are forgiven. To her, no cost was too great. There was expensive ointment in that alabaster box. That's why it was kept in such a container as that. To her, no, no cost was too great to pour on the Lord. No worship was too great to pour back upon the Lord her Savior. She was, she was overwhelmed in a good sense. Her whole life had been changed in that encounter with the Lord and probably some encounter before that with the Lord. She was filled with love for her Savior. She was filled with joy unspeakable, okay, full of glory. And nothing brings such joy, indeed you can come, nothing brings such joy to a man as knowing his sins are forgiven. To really know that for a fact that the Lord has made us righteous and we're forgiven. And I want to. I'm speaking of myself. And I would love to see it in your countenance, in your hearts, in worship as well, a greater joy, not because things are going great, but because of what we have been saved from. Even if you're saved as a child, you know what He saved you from? He saved you from a life of sin. You would never have to experience. Is that not merciful? Because a lot of us have sinned a lot and been forgiven much. A child has been saved from a life of sin. They have to be sinned as well. And that new nature, they have a sin nature. God makes us new in Christ. But they're spared from a life of sin. And I want to read this in closing. There was a great king once. And he wrote a song. And it's a song that's endured through the ages. And it's a song of joy. This king had been a great sinner. And God had forgiven his sin. This king had much to make him happy. He was the greatest king of his day. He he had great wealth. He had great armies. He was the greatest general of his time. He had a great palace. But when he came to write his song of joy, he did not say, happy is the man who has a beautiful palace. He did not say, happy is the man who has great armies. He did not say, happy is the man who is a great general. He did not say, happy is the man who is beloved by his people. He said, happy is the man whose transgression is forgiven. Amen. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whom whose spirit is no guile. Every man here today who will take the Lord Jesus as Savior will be forgiven of all of his sins and will have the joy of knowing that his sin is blotted out. If you've already done that, you have that joy. And I want us to worship the Lord this morning if for no other reason, if we never had another reason other than knowing that our sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man. A king said that. King David, right? Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity. So Father, we come before You. And Lord, we want to lift our hands. Y'all stand and the altars are open. God, we want to say thank You.
that our sins are forgiven. If, if you never did another thing for us, you do many things for us. But if you never did another thing for us, God, to know that we're forgiven, to know that we've been pardoned like that criminal, but far better, and for all eternity. God, I pray somehow, and I know You can do it by Your Holy Spirit, that You would make that real in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits. Maybe later today, or maybe right now, we'll just sit before You. Not ask You anything other than just show us, Lord. Show us what we were before You saved us. Show us what You spared us from. Show us the cost of my own sin that was placed on Jesus. Show me the depth of my own offense and grossness of my own sin against the holy and just God. Show me that, God. Like this woman at the feet of Jesus, Lord, that just her sins were forgiven and she poured out her love upon her Savior. God, that we would learn not just necessarily an emotional service right now, God, but in our the rest of our lives, God, that we would come and we would pour out our love and our worship upon You and rejoice, though we haven't seen You now, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And who, having not seen You, love. And Lord, we love You this morning. Forgive me of not loving You more. Forgive me for not being more thankful and joyful about my salvation from sin, God. Help us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.